Hi, I'm Randy G, the Commish, and he's Holy Magic Man Malinaji. And here we go. It's the maiden voyage of the champ and the commish. Now, we've been talking about this. Well, we've been telling friends in the boxing business and everything, maybe since last August about this show. But because of our crazy schedules and some crazy people and everything else, it has taken this long to get it going. But you know what? It's going to be worth it for you guys. I think we're in for fun. I think you're in for fun. And we're going to be talking all about your favorite sport, the world of boxing. And with us, it's all about the boxers and everything that goes with them. So with no further ado, let's get it going. Let's talk some boxing. And Paulie, glad to be with you here. And I have a burning question. And I, this that? has What's to that, be Randy? the first. Let, let it out. What's the, that? This has to be the first question I ask you. It's been burning inside of me. There have been reports over the year, the last year or so, that you shook hands with Conor McGregor. Is that true? Did you guys make up? Did you bury the hatchet in not in each other's backs? But is, <laughs> are you guys friends? Yeah, me and Connie, we made up. We're good. You know, we are. Uh, I, I hit up Connie from time to time, and uh, you know, we're all good. We have a good relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but. You know, for the longest time, you guys were basically arch enemies, but you heard it right there from Paulie Malinaji. Yeah. He actually and likes to be called Connie. <laughs> well, Paulie, this pandemic, it's still out here. We don't know how long it's going to be here, but the arenas are filling up again. Boxing is here. And is there anything about the sport right now that you're really excited about? Uh, you know, just uh, a regular schedule. It's, it gets exciting, you know, uh, knowing there's big fights on the horizon. Uh, we got a couple of months of really some really dynamite fights coming up, you know. And so I, I think with people talking about uh, fights and giving their opinions, uh, just the the excitement factor of, of, and of the possibilities that we may see of, of, of some of these action fights, I think, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, it builds up the anticipation for sure. And you know how, how that is about anticipation. With anticipation, you know, you get, uh, you know, you build up interest. Well, I got to tell you, April is looking like it's going to be one of the biggest months in many, many years. It's like one big fight after another. And of course, near the end of the month, some of the biggest fights in a while. But uh, coming up, I know this weekend alone, we get to see the return of Gennady Golovkin, a man they call Triple G, but he's going in against a former gold medalist from Japan, Ryoto Murata. Do not write Murata off. This could be, at 40 years old, the end of the career of Triple G. What do you think? Uh, I am going to write Murata off, Randy. That's what I think. Uh, I, I think Murata, you know, was a fine amateur. I, I think he's, mm -hmm. I don't think he's been a, as good of a pro as, as some, some other uh, Olympic gold medalists wind up developing into. He's been a pretty good fighter, I, I'd say. For, uh, for I'd say, I'll tell you this, he's a, he's a very big star in Japan. I met him in 2015 when I went to Tokyo. He was mm -hmm. a prospect, and he had just got, you know, I come out of the Olympics, and uh, you know, people were uh, really high on him at that time. And I'm sure they're still really high on him now. But uh, you know, I, I don't think he's ever lived up to quite the expectation that the rest of the world may have thought of him. But in Japan, he's a big star, and I think this fight will sell a ton because of that. You know, you've got uh, Murata who sells a lot in Japan. You've got Golovkin who is half Korean. So Korea is borders. It, it's on the border with Japan. So you figure, you know, maybe, I don't know if he has family there or whatnot. Obviously Russia is not that far away and you know, Golovkin is also Russian. So geographically, I think it's in a great place, you know, but uh, I, even a, even a 39, 40 year old Golovkin based on Golovkin's recent run of form, I don't think that he's that much of a, if there's that much of a risk for him in the Murata fight, I think it, I think it could be a fight where he looks good and it can catapult him into the third Canelo fight, which is being discussed now. There's a lot of rumors about that as well. If if if, if Canelo can, if Canelo can go into go go defeat Bivol, which is a big if in my opinion, but uh, if Canelo can defeat Bivol, there would be a third fight with with uh, with Canelo on the horizon, possibly. Well. Triple G, I mean, he's 40 years old. It's not like we're talking that he's 30. He's 40 years old. He has been off for almost three years. 
Mm. That's got to affect him because certainly at 40 years old, he's not going to be getting any better. He might be in perfect shape and everything, mm. but I don't know that he's going to be even the same fighter as he was in his very last fight when he, he stopped yeah. uh, Camille Zarameda. Yeah, yeah, it's possible, you know, uh, but he was already kind of older then too, and uh, he looked pretty good. You know, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, based off the fact that he's been off three years, I guess, you know, he's been able to, you know, train and not get, not add mileage to the odometer, so to speak. If I see the same guy that fought Zaramada, I think he stops Murata. You know, we'll see. Uh, I, I obviously, three years difference is a long time, but if it's the same Golovkin that fought Zaramada, he's going to stop Murata, in my opinion. Here's the thought that if Triple G beats Murata, next up for Triple G is going to be if Canelo Alvarez in May beats Dimitri Bivol, Canelo has said he wants to fight three times in 2022, and that would be the first one against Bivol. The next would be in September against either probably Triple G or if he gets beaten by Murata, it would be Murata. But the chances are it is going to be Triple G, and there are people saying, God, I really hope he maybe drops a decision to Murata that he loses, that Triple G loses. Why? Because then he's got to get in against Canelo Alvarez. And even though the first two fights, you can make a, a case and say that Triple G won it, they say this time around is not going to be a pretty scene. Everybody is thinking that Canelo will eat him alive if and when they fight in September. What do you think? Yeah, if everybody remembers what I was saying back back when they fought the first two times, I was saying that Canelo will not give Golovkin a third fight until he ages him out. And I've, uh, I guess I was right in that way because uh, it seems like now he's talking about uh, that third fight at when Golovkin is 40 years old. Um, it, it's, it's, it is what it is. You know, it's, uh, you know it, in life, everything is timing. You know, and when you're the younger guy, you kind of have that on your side, you know. So uh, I think uh, you're able to kind of smoke him out and uh, let him get a little older when you're the younger fighter. And Canelo is certainly the younger fighter. Uh, I don't think that if Golovkin will lose to Murata, it would be any better of a fight though. You know, I, you know, yeah, sure. The third Golovkin fight uh, with Canelo may not be as exciting as the first two may not be something that people anticipate like the first two, but I don't think Ryoto Murata and Canelo is something that kind of gets the juices going. You know, again, I, I don't want to overlook Dimitri Bivol because Bivol is a really rugged guy. That's probably, it, it, it may be Canelo's toughest opponent to date, like Dimitri Bivol. In my, in my, in my opinion, it might be that that kind of opponent. Well, you're going to be able to watch the fight on Saturday. It's coming to you from Saitama, Japan, and you can watch it on DAZN. Now, there's also another fight you're going to be able to watch on Saturday night from San Antonio, Texas. And this one, a lot of people having interest in this. Ryan Garcia, they call him King Rye, 21 and 0, 18 knockouts, only about 22 years old. Hasn't fought in about 15 months after his knockout of Luke Campbell last year. He said he was just experiencing different mental issues from depression and this and that, and maybe just being overworked. And I thought maybe it was because they never gave him a chance to even be a kid. What do you, from what you hear, is he ready to come back? What was that all about? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, again, it's, uh, I think different people will give you different opinions on it. You know, uh, everybody's different, you know, everybody reacts to different pressures, different circumstances in life, a little bit different. Um, I don't think, uh, Wilfred Benitez and Meldrick Taylor were talking about not getting a chance to be a kid when they were having the success they had at that age, you know? So it, I, I think it depends on everybody's individual circumstances, everybody's individual situations and, uh, the way that they are. Uh, one thing I'll tell you though, one thing I will tell you, Meldrick Taylor and Wilfred Benitez did not have the distractions, the distractions of social media uh, taking them away, taking away their concentration from uh, their boxing career. You know, I, I think uh, Ryan Garcia developing into a social media star uh, creates a lot of distraction, uh, can be both positive and negative. But one thing I'll tell you is it, it, from what I know about social media and what I'm, I'm learning and understanding now at this point in my life, when you get a lot of views and you get a lot of a lot of people traffic to your page and traffic to your pages, you can make a lot of money. So if you're making a lot of money without needing to box, 
you're, you're going to start, you, you may start to question as to why you need to box so often, you know, especially when your brand has such a positive image like Ryan Garcia's does. So uh, I, I don't know, I'm just uh, guessing here, but I don't know if, uh, if all of this is in the mix. And of course, that can cause more distractions that can cause right. more, uh, more of a different feeling. You know, uh, at the time when Meldrick Taylor and Wolf Benitez were coming up, it was gung ho boxing. They were, they were all about it. They were, they were, they were, uh, uh, they were super focused on their goal of achieving boxing superstardom and whatnot. And they got it, you know, but when there's so many of these distractions and they create, and for, in my opinion, and, and, and what I, from what I see, they create financial success these distractions create financial success. I think that you may end up getting pulled away from, from uh, you know, the goals of find, finding boxing success because boxing success is, uh, is not that easy to find and you've got to go through some rough, rough patches. I think Garcia has all the talent in the world, but uh, I think, you know, we're going to find out if he has the hunger and desire to, to fight at that level, you know? Talking about social media distractions certainly you're not distracted by it but then you're you've traded in the gloves for the microphone and headset and everything so if you want to reach my partner here paulie malanaji on instagram or twitter it's paul malanaji m-a-l-i-g-n-a-g-g-i both on instagram and twitter on instagram i happen to be randy Kamish gordon so that's our distraction and also well, i have a i have poly tv on ig as well poly tv on instagram mm-hmm. check out that page too but yeah, i love I mean, watching that i love watching that uh and as a matter of fact we're going to talk about something because in a, in a few minutes we'll get to something you said on poly.tv and i'd love people to go back and take a look at that and of course as you do just make sure you uh, click that like button because, uh, look, the more you click the like button, the more you're going to see both of us here, the more you're going to see Paulie and everything. So make sure you just click that like button. Ryan Garcia is going to be going up against, and I think they're putting him in with a very good guy. I am understanding that Emmanuel Tago is in the best shape he's ever been in. And because we really haven't seen much of him, I think it's going to be somewhat of a surprise both to us and maybe even to Ryan Garcia. Emmanuel Tago is 32-1. and He lost his professional debut when he was 15 years old, about seven years ago. He's now 32-1. and He's won 32 consecutive fights. He's got 15 knockouts in there. Have you ever seen Tago in action? Are you like many others who really haven't? We don't know that much about him. I've seen some highlights, uh, but thing, one thing I know about Tago, uh, Tago because of uh, I, have, I have a big soccer fan, and I said this also on my show on Poly TV. I'm a big soccer fan, and uh, Asamoah Gyan, the Ghanaian soccer star, was managing Tago earlier in his career. And when I was on my Twitter more uh, more often back uh, before before I decided to you know step away from Twitter and let let the PR team run it because I get myself canceled. Uh, <laughs> I I was on Twitter more often years ago, and and. I used to talk to Gian here and there, you know, because I'm a big soccer fan and he's also a big boxing fan. So we used to keep in touch here and there. And he told me about this kid, Emmanuel Tago, and he told me he was managing him. This was years ago. I mean, this was, I probably haven't been on Twitter regularly since about 2016, 2017, you know? And he told me back then that Tago was going to become somebody in the, in, uh, in, in the world of boxing and to be on the lookout for him. Now, I have, since I got off Twitter, I have not been in touch with Asamoah Gian. He's also retired from his soccer career since then. Uh, hmm. He was a, he was a, you know, anybody who wanted to watch soccer or as they call it uh, in England football knows who I'm talking about. Uh, Samoa Gian, he was an international star, but um, Tago. So I don't know if he's still involved with Tago, but the name always, I kept that name in my mind, uh, even from back then. And so here we are, oddly enough, ironically enough, Ryan Garcia is coming back after this 15 month layoff and everybody's talking about Ryan Garcia. But the opponent happens to be Emmanuel Tago, who still hasn't lost since Gian has told me about him. So, so it's uh, Tago has still been on the streak that uh, Gian was telling me about. And uh, I don't know if they're still involved together, but nonetheless, I have my curiosities about Tago. I've had curiosities ever since then. I don't know if Gianna still is, or he might be involved in the background. I think I might be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure that the manager now 
of Emmanuel Tago is Peter Kahn, who happens to be the manager of George Camposis. He's the manager. I got to talk of, to Peter because I know Peter's big into soccer as well. So I wonder if uh, I yeah. wonder how that connection came about. Yeah, me and soccer have had me and Peter. Me and Peter have had several uh, soccer conversations uh, through the years when I when I've when I've seen him. Oh, okay, I haven't seen him in a while, but um, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how that came about. I got to I got to check it out with him. He's also you know as long as I'm talking about Peter Kahn, he's got my favorite young fighter. He is the manager of my favorite young fighter. Xander Zayas, who uh, is a 19-year-old, 154-pounder. He started as a welterweight. He signed with top rank. He's now about 13-0. and 0. Um, No, he's not fighting this weekend, but they're Just working fought. on something for sometime in either late April or, or May. Have you seen much of Xander Zayas? Because oh, this yeah. is my number one favorite fighter. I mean, to me, Zayas is one of them biggest prospects in the sport, if not the biggest prospect in the sport right now. I think when you talk about guys who have the possibility of carrying the sport into the next generation, one of the names that comes to your mind is Xander Zayas. You know, he's, he's got the promotability, but also has the hunger and determination that, in my opinion, Ryan Garcia sometimes lacks. I'm, I'm interested to see how far Xander Zayas can go. I, I think he's, he's got promise written all over him. Well, tell you what, I'm jotting it down right now. Let's, uh, for future shows here on The Champ and the Commission, let's get Xander Zayas on with us. That's a promise. Yeah. Now, on that Ryan Garcia card against Emmanuel Tago, there's also going to be a fight, and I'm loving this one, because he does nothing but make terrific fights. Gabriel Gabe Rosado. He's 26-14-1 with 15 knockouts. But nobody he gets in with is an easy time for him. Gabe Rosado against the son of Hall of Famer Sugar Shane Mosley. We're talking about Shane Mosley Jr., who's 17 and 4. Gabe Rosado, 26 and 4. This is a 10 rounder at 168 pounds. How do you see this one? I think this is a terrific fight. This might be the best fight on the card, actually. Rosado's never in a bad fight. And to tell you the truth, Shane Mosley Jr. is not in very, very many bad fights either. You know, uh, it's sort of a crossroads battle. You know, Rosado is maybe a little bit long in the tooth. People keep saying that. But then, of course, he keeps pulling out some pretty good performances regardless of that. And Shane Mosley Jr., you know, he's looking for that key win. You know, he's kind of been hovering around a certain level. Uh, he's got the, the Mosley name, which carries a big promotional uh, promotion, carries right. big promotional ability. But he hasn't. he's been kind of hovering at a certain level. He's even reached the finals of the Contender Show, which was big for him. But I think uh, – he hasn't beaten anybody of, of this level quite yet, but he's kind of, he's sort of ready for this level, you know? So Rosado's trying to hang around at this level. Mosley Jr. is trying to enter this level and then, and then, and then enter other higher levels. So it's, I think it's a really, really good match. It, it's made at a very good time for both of their careers. Uh, a nice cross, cross uh, a nice um, crossroads matchup. And I think it's going to be a very, very good fight. I, I can't, I can't see this being anything but action packed. And the fight's going to be on the zone again. It's Saturday night from San Antonio with Ryan Garcia on top against Emmanuel Tago. Also on the card is a female flyweight championship between Marlon Asparza, the WBC champion, and the WBA female champion. She comes from Japan, and her name is Naoko Fujioka. And she's got a 19 and 2 record, Esparza 11 and 1. Neither lady is a big puncher. As a matter of fact, Esparza in her 11 and 1 record, one knockout. She wins her fights on style and class and amount of punches thrown. So the female 112 pound championship fight on that card, Ryan Garcia on top against Emmanuel Tago and Gabe Rosado against Shane Mosley Jr. Now, same day, it's going to be in Los Angeles, California. It's going to be seen on Showtime. I think this is one tremendous fight. I've been waiting for it. I, when I first heard about it about six weeks ago, I said, no, they, this cannot be happening. This is, I think, too good. Erickson Lubin, who's 24-1 and one against unbeaten, they call him the towering inferno, Sebastian Fondora, almost six foot six. At 154 pounds, he's 18-0-1 with 12 knockouts. This is a very interesting fight. How do you see it? 
know, this guy Fondora makes the weight. It's insane. It's insane that he's able to fight at light, light, light middleweight. I mean, if, if for anybody who hasn't seen Fondora fight, I mean, he looks like a freak of nature at that height, making that weight. Uh, yes. Lubin is a very good fighter. Lubin is one of the best fighters in the world. This is a really tricky fight uh, for a lot of reasons. Fondora, ironically enough, is a tall guy, but he doesn't always fight tall. He fights tall in some ways. He's, he's awkward because he can reach you from weird places that you're not used to being reached from when you're fighting at that weight class. But at the same time, he does get in the pocket and, and fights you, you know. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting for me to see. I think Lubin has to be aggressive. Uh, I think there was an earlier part of Lubin's career where he was a bit more aggressive. And then he's kind of sat back, started sitting back and started boxing more since being knocked out in the Jamel Chalo fight. But I, I really think that if Lubin is going to be successful against Fondora, he's going to have to, you know, be, be, be aggressive in an, in, a, in an intelligent way, obviously. You know, you don't want to walk into punches and get yourself knocked out. But I think that when I when I think of the way Fondora, the, what's the kind of paradox Fondora is going to present, Lubin is going to have to be aggressive uh, in an intelligent manner. And I, and I think he's able to do that. But Fondora is, uh, Fondora is no easy, no easy touch. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting sight to see. And, and it's a tough fight, but it's a good fight. You know, Fondora is a, is a Southpaw. And again, he's a 154 pounder who stands as tall as just about it as Anthony Joshua. I mean, how could you be 154 pounds and be about six foot six tall? But he, he gives the appearance of being a spaghetti strand with legs and arms and boxing gloves. Yeah. Now, every time I see an opponent face him, that opponent comes out as if to say, you know what? This guy's an easy target. I am just gonna hit him. I'm gonna break him in half. That doesn't happen. I wonder if Lubin is going to try to do the same thing. Just look at him and go, wait a minute. I don't care what I've been watching on video. Look at this guy. He is like this. I'm going to break him. I think if Lubin tries that, he's going to fall behind very early in the fight because I don't see a fast knockout at all. No, I don't see a fast knockout, but I do see the fact that I, I do see Lubin having to be aggressive. I don't think you can sit back on the outside against a guy six foot six and sort of let him dictate. So whether he thinks he's going to break him right away or not, I do think he's going to have to get inside and, and work, you know, and work in a manner where he's scoring and, and, and landing damaging blows uh, from his distance. He needs to be, uh, he needs to be at his distance in order to make things happen. It's not, it's, otherwise it's not going to really work out for him. I mean, he needs to, you know, close that gap and close that gap in a manner where he's not getting hurt and he's not walking into shots, you know? So it's very important for him to do that. Uh, but Fondora is not going to make it easy. Fondora is a, is a guy who meets you with punches. He's, he, 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 get, he has a pretty good output, I'd say. And uh, he's got a willingness to fight, as a lot of South American fighters do. You know, they're, they're, they're typically hard, hard not to crack. So, um, again, I, I, I think it's a tricky fight. I, I can't really tell you that there's an easy winner to pick here. But it's, I think it's a good fight, and it's a good fight for the fans because it'll be fun TV to watch. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is going to be a tremendous fight for the fans. And that's one of the reasons we're talking to you here about it on the champ and the commish. And by the way, if you have any questions for the champ and the commish, you have a rant, you have a question, whatever it might be, send your questions to the champ and the commish at gmail.com. And we'll try to get as many of your letters and questions on as we can every single week right here. Also on that card in Los Angeles on Showtime underneath Lubin and Fundura. Another 154-pounder. I like watching this guy fight. Former champion, Tony Harrison, against once-beaten Sergio Garcia, who's 33-1. and He's got 14 knockouts, lost his, in his last fight on decision. Tony Harrison is a guy who took the title a few years ago from Jermel Charlo and then lost it in his first defense right back to Charlo again. Harrison says, I want another shot at Charlo. He cannot go looking past Sergio Garcia. Very interesting fight, I think. I, yeah, and I it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good light middleweight card. It's possible that maybe the winners can fight each other and then the winner yeah. that can go fight uh, Charlo for the title. Uh, Charlo, of course, has a, a tough fight himself, I think, with Brian Castano, is he not? I think that's coming up soon as well. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I think it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a good fight. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed Tony Harrison. I remember training alongside him at the wildcard gym. 
in uh in uh 2010 11 you know when he was just a prospect from detroit he was training out there in la i believe i may even have sparred him once or twice always uh i was always impressed the way he looked in the gym and uh you know a good head on his shoulders i kind of saw uh, a good future for him back then he was with he back then i think he was also uh working uh, with emmanuel stewart back in detroit i remember i randomly ran into him i was in italy and I went to uh, watch Klitschko versus David Hay in Germany. So I took a flight over to Germany and uh, Tony had fought on the undercard, you know, <laughs> and I saw him out there and I'm like, oh, I didn't expect to see you out here, you know, but he was obviously with the, the, the Emmanuel Stewart connection. Uh, rest in peace to Emmanuel Stewart, but he had the, he was able to get on that card. So uh, Tony's always been a fun guy to watch. Uh, he, he does a lot of good things in the community as well. So I, I'm interested to see if he can rebound the, uh, uh, after if his, if his career can kind of take that trajectory back to the title shot, you know, he was competitive in both Charlo fights, even the one he got stopped and he was competitive, you know, he's, he's a very tricky fighter. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious to see how, he, how this fight against Garcia goes out and how he looks. Well, that's Saturday night in Los Angeles. You can watch it on Showtime. Tony Harrison against Sergio Garcia. Also on that card, the main event, Erickson Lugan against Sebastian Fundura. And we talked about the other fights that are going to be on Saturday. Ryan Garcia in one in the main event. And this one's going to be on the uh, zone from San Antonio as Ryan Garcia comes back after about 15 months away, taking on 32 and one Emmanuel Tago, Gabe Rosado underneath that again, Shane Mosley Jr. And then also on Saturday, a very interesting fight. We, Paulie and I think that Triple G is going to win this. But it's not a given. I don't think that former gold medalist Ryoto Murata is anywhere near being shot. Um, he's only about 35 years old. He's 16 and 2, 13 knockouts. I still think he's got a lot in the tank. And I'm being told that he's in the best shape he's ever been in. Let's see what happens. I'm dying to see the first three rounds or so of this fight. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. But I, I... I don't, uh, I don't, I don't rate Murata much. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't rate him much. I don't, I don't think this is a, I, if, if Golovkin is Golovkin, I don't think this fight is competitive. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously uh, knowing Gennady Golovkin and, and, and being a hit, any boxing fan knows who Gennady Golovkin is and knowing the devastating fighter he's been through the years, we'll be comparing the old performances to the, to the, how Golovkin looks uh, against Murata. But I, I don't, I don't think, uh, Murata has enough levels to him to to really disturb Golovkin. I'm curious about the age, though. You know, we'll see how the age goes. But then you just mentioned Murata's 35 years old himself, so he's not exactly a spring chicken either. Yeah, and he hasn't been in those kind of wars. And his only two losses with Murata, Murata lost oh, to the veteran Anjakam mm -hmm. and by decision, Nadam Anjakam. And then about a year later in a rematch, knocked him out. And then he lost the decision to Rob Brandt. Mm -hmm. And in a rematch very shortly after, knocked him out. Those are his only two losses. He avenged each one of them mm -hmm. with a brutal knockout. So let's see what happens on yeah. Saturday night against the legendary, I'm sure, heading to the International Boxing Hall of Fame, Triple G. Now, we'll get to some of the other fights. That's this weekend. Paulie, I want to talk about something I saw on Paulie.tv. Yeah. You were talking the other day about fighters getting caught on PEDs. Now, one of the guys, I mean, Jarrell Big Baby Miller was just told by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, we are going to end your suspension, but you got to, it's going to be, I think it's June 16th. Mm -hmm. After that, you can't apply for your license, but you're going to have to subject yourself to test by VADA whenever we say so. VADA comes by, the answer can't be no, not today. Whenever VADA comes for you, you got to be willing to do the drug test. He said, fine, because he's looking to get back in the ring. But I'm wondering, and it's funny because in my days as commissioner in New York, we didn't catch that many guys. We tested for back in 88, 89, 90, in the early 90s when I was commissioner, we didn't test for very many drugs. The PEDs, we tested for cocaine and even then marijuana. And we didn't get many hits. 
But today with all these designer drugs, do you think there's a significant number? And I don't even know what's significant, certainly not 50% or more, you know, but would you say maybe five to 10% of fighters out there? And of course we don't have figures out there, but from what you hear, would it surprise you if that many were using PEDs? I think, uh, I think that's a very naive question, Randy. Five to 10% is a very low number. I think it's a very naive statement. Um, I'd say more 90 to 95%, if not higher at the upper, upper elite level. Wait a minute. Let me, I got to turn up my, I got to yeah. turn the volume up. I yeah. thought you just yeah. said 99 to 5%. 90 to 95%. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. How, how, how are, if there are dirty fighters, you think clean fighters are really beating dirty fighters? Do you think, do you think a clean fighter is beating a dirty fighter? Is this, a, is, is life a Rocky movie or do we live in reality? It, does, it, does a clean fighter stand the chance against a dirty fighter? Of course not. Okay, so, so then if that's the case, if dirty fighters are around, don't they force the non-dirty fighters to become dirty as well? And, 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 and doesn't it create a domino effect? Also, be, before you even answer the question, when you were the commissioner, you said you didn't test for steroids, you tested for cocaine, marijuana, and yeah. all those things. What was the test? What kind of test did they use? Basically... Let's head down to the bathroom, into okay, the bottle. So, so that basically it's a get out of jail free car. You got to be a moron to, to fail those tests. You could do anything. You could basically do any steroid you want and you'll never fail that test because you know when the test is coming, you can time it, you can cycle off. And you also, there are certain steroids that don't even come up in urine. So, so you got to be an absolute moron to, 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 to fail that kind of test if, you, if, if, if you're trying to be dirty. Um, today, even with VADA and whatnot, uh, I was on the VADA uh, WBC program where they can come anytime they want. Um, and the, when you rank the top 15, uh, that, that, that program was around when I was fighting. I don't know if it's around now, but I remember I was on, I was in the WBC top 15. They showed up once in like seven months. And I asked, I called Margaret Goodman and I said, you know, cause I'm, I've always been for a clean sport, you know? So I called Margaret Goodman. I said, you know, doc, I said, what, what's up with that? I said, why? Why doesn't anybody show up? I said, what, you know, that I'm, I'm, I mean, because I figured it wasn't, I wasn't worried about myself. I was clean, but I was thinking about, imagine all these other fighters. If they're not showing up for me, they're not showing up for anybody. I said, you know, what, what's going on? And she said, Paul, we don't have the money to test these guys. You know how expensive it is to test for all these steroids? We don't have the money. We need big funding. You know, we do what we can, but we don't have a big, we don't have a big funder, you know, like a big fund. Uh, I, I said, I said, uh, what do you mean? I said the, the, the WBC or they don't do it. She goes, they give a little bit, but they don't, they don't dedicate nearly as much as they should. So, so, you know, you can, it's just, it's basically a, uh, um, you know, what, what is the word? Like, you know, when you're, uh, you just, you're just kind of polishing the pig, you know what I mean? Like you're just, you're just yeah. making it, you're just making it look good for the, for the general audience, but, it, but the reality is you can't really do anything about it, you know? And so, and so when people say, oh, you're on the BADA testing or you're on the USADA testing, it's just, you know, it's, you're just polishing the pig. You know what I mean? You're, you're, at the end of the day, it's still a pig. You know, you're not actually fixing anything, you know, so so um, uh, because the funding is not there. And that's what it boils down to, you know. Exactly. Uh, See, that that's the thing. And I could hear people who are hearing this for the first time hearing this incredible number that you said 90, no they, no, they get mad that's why i stopped talking about it because they get mad they they, they want to believe uh that their their heroes are clean and everything so they get mm -hmm. mad about it. i used to honestly argue more about this more when i was fighting because uh you know i was i was you know i was in a sport of like stepping in a minefield so uh, you're trying to avoid every time you take a fight you're trying to avoid the mines but but now at this point i've retired and I don't see fighters, you know, honestly, if there were more clean fighters, you would see more guys like me were demanding more drug testing and all this. But the fact that nobody does tells you that most of them are dirty. So that's another, that's another proof that tells you more of them are dirty. The fact that they don't, um, they don't uh, yell, yell from all the roofs, you know, that we need more drug testing, we need stronger drug testing, we need more strict drug testing. The fact that nobody's doing that kind of tells you what, what it is that most of them are, are on it. So they don't, they don't want to see the drug testing, you know, but like I said, I think it's a domino effect. I, I think it just creates a situation where you may have had a few that were dirty and then 
you just start to see the trickle down effect because in order to beat those guys, like I remember Billy Joe Saunders filming a drug test a couple of years ago and people wanting my opinion. And I'm like, well, what do you want? I mean, Canelo Alvarez just failed the drug test. He's chasing Canelo Alvarez, right? It was before they, they hadn't fought yet. So I said, what do you expect him to do? How's he ever going to hope to beat Canelo Alvarez if, if, he, if he realizes Canelo Alvarez is doing these things, you know? So, so I mean, it was, uh, it, you know, guys get caught, the, the slaps on the wrist for the most part. Um, and like I said, with the, with the fact that the drug testing cannot be as strict and as, as, uh, as organized as it, as it could be with there were more funding, you've got to be an absolute moron to fail the drug test. You do. You, you, only a moron will fail these drug tests. You know, like it's, it, it's almost, it's almost impossible to get caught. So that's, uh, that's the but fighters, as you know, are getting caught and I mentioned the name. Um, big baby Miller, Jarrell Miller, he was a couple of weeks away from fighting Anthony Joshua in a fight that he was going to probably win for the heavyweight championship of the world. And he flunks like three separate drug tests in New York. Mm -hmm. I have not had a chance to speak to big baby about that, but apparently he's back in training. I think he is overseas. And I think he is uh, I've heard that he's doing some sparring with, I think it might even be Anthony Joshua. Um, I'm looking forward. I'm hoping to get him right here on the champ and the commission, because I think he'll talk openly now about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, don't, think any, I don't think anybody talks openly about it. You know, there's guys that have been caught you know, they'll tell you that they're sorry or that there was a mistake. And then there's guys that haven't been caught that they'll tell you that they're clean. <laughs> so then they haven't been caught. So, I mean, you're not going to really get a, it's not a conversation where you get a general answer. That's why I don't, I don't even visit the conversation. You brought it up though, Randy. So we, we discussing it, but it's not yeah. a conversation. It's not even a conversation that I have because yeah, you, I already know you don't get a clean, you don't get a clean response out of it, you know? Okay. Well, let's get back to the boxing. I just wanted to drop that in there because when I heard you on poly.tv, Mm -hmm. talking about it. And I certainly understand. Listen, when I was head of the New York State Athletic Commission, we had a budget unlike any other commission. My budget was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. and other states might have had a budget of 500 bucks. Yeah. I mean, is it fair? No. But there's a lot of commissions that have big budgets and I do believe Nevada is one of them and California is another. And I think Pennsylvania is another and Jersey is another and New York. And you could basically stop right there. Maybe Florida. After that, well, there's all these other states that have boxing and the boxers are basically lucky if you get a doctor to put a stethoscope on their chest. Yeah, plus, this, for drug testing, you need more than 20, more than a few hundred thousand dollars budget just just for one training camp for a fighter. Um, to get random drug tested throughout a training camp, it costs $25,000 just for one fighter, random testing. And that's only through training camp. That's not year round. So it's mm -hmm. $25,000 per fighter. Um, so if you were going to test all the fighters all year round, you would need millions of dollars. So it's, it's way, way above hundreds of thousands of dollars that you'd need. And that's, that's every single commission, right? Or at least the commission within, the, within their jurisdiction, right? Or, or, or you'd need at least yeah. a national or international uh, governing body to that 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 override that, that rules over the drug testing or presides over the drug testing you'll never get it nobody cares enough there is money there to be done but nobody will want to spend it there they'll want to spend it somewhere else um it's more convenient to do that so you know i don't talk about it because nobody wants to fix it paulie and i are talking a little bit about a very disturbing subject PEDs, not just in boxing, but in sports. And I'm, I'm sure uh, there actually are seminars about this all over the country. I see them many, many times. Um, and it's a problem I just don't know if we're ever going to be able to take control of. Well, we can take control of what we watch on television. And of course, after this tremendous weekend, I'm looking forward starting to April 16th in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium on Showtime pay-per-view. Errol Spence against your Danis Ugas. I see a very interesting fight here. I don't see Ugas winning it, although he is talking like he's going to basically own Spence in that ring. Ugas, 
at 27 and 4 with 12 knockouts. Errol Spence, 27 and 0 with 21 knockouts. Arguably, maybe the second best welterweight in the world after Terrence Crawford, maybe even the guy who could beat Terrence Crawford. Errol Spence, of course, remember that fight against Sean Porter. Right after the fight, a few weeks later, he was in a horrific car accident thrown out of his Ferrari at about 125 miles an hour. How he survived, nobody knows. He was off for the rest of uh, about a year, came back against Danny Garcia and shut Danny Garcia out, just outboxed him, looking like he really had never been away. Then he had eye surgery. He's been out again. And they say that everything is fine with the eyes. How do you see with your two good eyes, Errol Spence, you're Dana Sugas. I think it's a competitive fight, to be honest. I, 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 I start to worry about Spence in terms of what he's gone through as far as the, the accident and the one comeback fight and then the, uh, the eye surgery. He hasn't been very able to be very busy. Uh, Ugas is, is in the best moment of his career. You know, he's got the Pacquiao win. He, uh, I felt like he won the Porter fight as well and didn't get the decision. He's been looking very, very good. It's a very, uh, very positive moment in his career right now. He's, he's got a great chin. You know, we saw him uh, lose on points earlier in his career to Amir Mom, who's one of the biggest punchers in boxing, you know. Uh, so I don't think it's easy to break down. Uh, I think he's very clever, very tricky. And I think he's confident right now because of the way he's been looking lately. I think it's a tricky fight. Uh, it's, it's hard to not favor Spence. But I'll tell you what, I, I find this fight to be very competitive. I'll, I probably slightly favor Spence, but I think it's going to be a competitive fight. Do you see perhaps either guy, or especially Spence, having more of an, an advantage early in the fight or the deeper they go into the fight? Because, look, against Danny Garcia, he really didn't have any pressure or anything. He boxed at his own pace. But Errol Spence, to me, looked like he just breezed through that 12 rounds. I don't see Ordanis Ugas putting on much pressure, but he has made it known that he intends to stand in the center of the ring and control the fight there. We'll see. I'm wondering, the longer it goes, if Ugas stands a better chance. I don't know. You know, if the longer it goes, I know if if Ugas stands in the middle of the ring, Spence has some very good body shots. So if he fights that kind of fight later, I could see the later part of the fight being advantageous to Spence. If it goes that long, and if uh, and if Spence is able to land those those hard body shots early in the fight, but but um, again, I, I think Lucas is a clever guy, as most Cuban boxers uh, tend to be. Uh, I think, like I said, I'll reiterate, it's a positive moment in his career, and he's feeling very good about himself based on the recent run of form. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think it's going to be easy to break him, and I think uh, with Spence, I, I'm curious about Spence's timing as well. He's not been able to be very busy these recent years, so I'm curious about Spence's timing. I think this is going to be a close decision fight. Close decision, says Paulie. April 16th on Showtime pay-per-view. Also on that card, a couple of interesting fights. And this one, I really have an interest in because I like this young man. I like them both. Brandon Lee has been on my Sirius XM show with me and Cooney several times. Brandon Lee is 24-0 with 22 knockouts. Zachary Ochoa is going to be stepping into the limelight for the first time. Just a, a real, a lovely young man. He's 21 and two. I don't believe he's ever been on the floor. He's got seven knockouts, but he has been preparing for Brandon Lee for actually a couple of months. He said, Brandon Lee comes out banging. He wants to take you out of there. He's got nine first round knockouts. He said, I'm taking this guy deep. And his record right now is 24 and 0. I'm going to make him 24 and one. Is he dreaming? Um, you know, Ochoa is a clever little fighter. Um, I remember I saw him lose to uh, a Canadian fighter on his record. You'll probably know, remember the name, right? Eves, uh, Eves something. I'll check his record. Uh, and I felt like he was a little bit out of his league there. I, I, always, saw, I always felt Zach had a, a good amount of ability. But he just uh, it was not, wasn't able to put it together, and in that fight looked a little lost. In in a, in a fight where I thought he was he would have been able to have a little bit more success. Eves was a a good boxer, but I, I didn't I didn't think that he would present anything that Zach wouldn't be able to handle. But he was a step up in terms of level of opposition. Although if you're from New York and you're sparring the level of guys you're sparring in New York, you know I would have thought that you know a guy like that. Zach would have probably seen in the gyms time and time again, you know, at least that level, even if he hadn't fought a guy of that level, but 
looked a little bit out of his league there. Um, I don't know how he's since rebounded, but I always thought that he was a pretty good young fighter. Uh, Brandon Lee to me is one of the studs in boxing. He's uh, like as Andrews eyes to me, you know, one of the guys that could take the, take the sport at the next level, uh, take the sport onto the next stage. So it's a, it's a, it's a fight where it seems to be from Showtime standards, a, a showcase fight for, Brandon Lee, but I know how that can be uh, because uh, when I fought Miguel Cotto, I, I, it was pretty much a showcase fight for Miguel Cotto on the eve of the Puerto Rican Day Parade, right. and I wanted to make it my own show. So I think uh, Zach still has a chance to you know, make it his own show if he's able to put up a good showing. And, and if he's able to pull off the upset, I mean, it, he does make it his show. But if he's able to show that he's of a level where he can fight and he, can, and he belongs on this level – then people will want to pay attention to him even past this fight, regardless of the result. But if he goes in there and gets blown out, then, uh, you know, probably his time as far as being a fighter that people will be curious about is over. You know, uh, people are certainly curious about Brandon Lee. So it's uh, the promotion, the show, the, the, the fight is based on the Brandon Lee show. And we know how, how, and how, how impressive yeah. Brandon Lee's been. And we know how impressive Brandon Lee's been to this to this point in his career and I think he's going to continue to be impressive in his career but uh yeah when you bring it up about Zach Ochoa I, I kind of understand where his position is right now he's got all to play for here in this fight you know and and his performance in this fight is going to go a long way in people's opinion of him because not enough people know him and a lot of people are going to be seeing him for the first time and a lot of people are going to be seeing him this is obviously his biggest step up even even a bigger step oh, up yeah. than, than that than that fight that he lost uh, uh with the Canadian fighter so I'm uh, I'm curious about what plays out, you know. Uh, but I'll I'll certainly be I'm curious for both same reasons, really, you know, because Ochoa, the New York fighter that I've seen for a lot of years, and uh, of course Lee, one of the most impressive guys that I find in the sport. So that one, another one of the undercards to Errol Spence, Uradanis Ugas. It's going to be Brandon Lee and Zachary Ochoa. There's another interesting fight on that card, and and I like this one. I've seen him fight before. I actually announced one of his fights, Canada's undefeated Cody Crowley, who has made Vegas his home, has won a nice fight in Vegas. He's 20 and 0, nine knockouts. He's actually a, more of a puncher than his record indicates. He can fight on the outside. He's terrific on the inside. He's fighting the veteran, Josecito Lopez, 38 and 8. I love the matchup. It's a 10 round welterweight matchup. Let's see if Cody Crowley can make it 21-0 against the veteran Josecito Lopez. And I'll tell you, Lopez, Lopez is never in a bad fight, man. I'll tell you, you want to test right. your guy out against Lopez, he's going to show – he's going to tell you whether – he's going to show you whether your guy has anything or not, you know, <laughs> how far yeah. your guy can go. Because Lopez, Lopez has been in with some of the best fighters in the sport, Maidana – Thurman, he's a knockout win over Victor Ortiz. Uh, he's yeah. he's the goods, man. I mean, he may be a little long in the tooth, but if you're if you've got a good prospect, I think you're gonna you're gonna figure out whether he sinks or swims at, at a higher level, and that sink or swim kind of uh, gauge is, is probably Josito Lopez. I'm Randy G, and he's Paulie Magic Man Malinaji on our brand new show, The Champ. And the commission, we're going to be joining you every single week with boxing results, upcoming fights, guests, and just about everything there is in the world of boxing. Now, that fight with Spence and Ugas, the 16th of the month, the following week, the heavyweight championship of the world. Tyson Fury against Dillian White. Dillian White has been the quietest opponent challenger for the heavyweight championship. I mean, what is going on with that? If you were one of the promoters, would you be going crazy saying, would you please say something? <laughs> well, he's, a, he's sort of, I think he feels like everybody's talking, uh, counting him out. So he's taking the approach that he's going to basically ban, the, ban himself from the press, you know, and uh, he's not, he's not going to respect any of them. You know, uh, I, I guess whatever gets your focus going, you know, uh, sometimes this works, you know. I've seen this in soccer where the, the, the coach bans his players from talking to the press, you know, to, to avoid distractions. Uh, and then just the coach speaks for the whole team. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for White, he's a guy who I think he's been a bit disrespected in his career. He's never fought for a heavyweight title his whole career. I mean, this is his first heavyweight title shot. This is a guy who's had a very good career, has been a dangerous heavyweight his whole career. I, I, I has watched a lot lesser heavyweights get heavyweight title shots than him. Uh, of course. Him. And 
he's finally here. And of course, everybody's counting him out. Now, personally, myself, I think White uh, would have been competitive against the, uh, both Joshua and uh, Deontay Wilder. As a matter of fact, before Joshua won the heavyweight title, he wasn't a competitive fight with Dillian White. I do think that stylistically, though, this fight doesn't hold well for him. Fury's just too big. I think he's going to just be sort of, you know, using that reach. When White gets in close, he's going to be, be able to push him down because White is a bit too short. So for Fury, he's going to so Fury's going to be able to push down his head on the inside, uh, like he like we watch Fury do to a lot of ex, ex opponents that were short like that. Um, renders them ineffective on the inside. On the outside, it's hard to get past uh, Fury's jab. Uh, uh, and of course, Fury's just a bigger man in general, you know. So it's a it's it's a lot to work with. While White is a quality heavyweight, I just don't know that you know he's he's going to have enough in the tank to to beat Fury right now. Fury seems very very unbeatable. The only guy that beats Fury is himself, to me, in my opinion. Paulie and I discussing the April twenty third heavyweight championship fight between Tyson Fury and Dillian White. And you know, when you think about Tyson Fury, I mean. As a historian, I start thinking about some of the, the biggest heavyweight champions in history, Jess Willard and Primo Carnera, who, you know what? They were about six foot six, about 245, 250 pounds. Today, it seems like every heavyweight is about that size. Tyson Fury is maybe just under six foot nine. He says he's going to come in at his heaviest weight. I don't know if he is, but. I would expect that he's going to be in at lightest, about 280 pounds. And what I see is he knows how to fight. He can fight right-handed. He can fight southpaw. He's going to keep him at a distance. On the inside, he's going to tie him up. And on the inside, he's going to lean on him. He's very good at laying his almost 300 pounds on a guy. And you go lifting a guy up several times, that wears on you. I don't give Dillian White much of a shot in this fight at all. Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you are, Randy. You know, and and that's I say that with the respect for Dillian White, who I think is a, a, a like I said, a terrific heavyweight. But I can't see the style matching up very well for him. He's gonna bring the fight. I think he's gonna do his best, and he's gonna press Fury in the best way he can. But again, you press him too much, and what happens? You're just gonna get up, end up getting leaned on, and, and 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 the physicality of the bigger Fury is gonna end up bothering you to a degree. But I think White will try to do the damage he can on the inside. And then uh, from the outside, you know, you've got this, uh, you know, this this big guy with his long jab and, and athletic ability that is able to move around if he wants to. Of course, if he comes in heavy, that may slow down Fury a little bit. Fury comes in too heavy. Um, I think White will go for it, though. He'll, he'll swing for the fences. You know, if he can land that big overhand right, yeah. uh, sort of like Steve Cunningham did it on Fury and drop when he dropped him, you know, uh, you may give himself a chance. We know Dillian does have some dynamite in his gloves when he lands a big shot, but he's going to have to be that kind of lightning in a bottle type of shot. You know, uh, you're going to have to be, and he's going to have to be resilient in order to land that lightning in a bottle type of shot. It's not just going to come to him. He's going to have to be able to walk through the fire and then deal with a lot of adversity in the fight. And then while dealing with that adversity, hope that he can land that lightning in a bottle type of shot. That's really the only way. I see him winning the fight. And I, and I do believe Dillian is willing to go through adversity. He's, he's shown the, the character of a champion in his career, but it's just like, eventually you do break down. If you don't land that money shot, Fury will break you down. I still have in my mind's eye, Dillian White getting hit in the first fight with one mighty left uppercut from Alexander Povetkin and getting stretched. And I mean, in the fight, he was fighting very cocky because he was beaten on Alexander. And he was maybe a round away from stopping him. He got cocky, drops his hands, leaves his hands open. He gets hit with the uppercut and put out to sleep. Well, after that, Povetkin gets COVID, tries to come back a little too quick, almost has a relapse, has to get back into training. He rests, then he gets back into training. And when he finally got in the ring for the rematch against Tyson Fury, I don't, uh, against Dillian White, I don't think he looked the way he looked months earlier. And Dillian White had an easy time with him knocking him out. But that one time that I saw Dillian White stretched there by Povetkin, that's what tells me he stands not a chance against Fury. Yeah, you're right. I was at ringside for the Cunningham fight. My heart almost stopped when I saw the light hitting Cunningham drop him. 
But I think that was a different Fury. We know that he went through a meltdown after that and everything else. I think this is a different Fury. Yeah, I listen, I think Pavekin got beat up in both fights with White. I think he Billion was beating the heck out of him in the first fight, and I think Billion was beating the heck out of him in the second fight. It's just in the in the second fight, Pavekin wasn't able to land the uppercut. Listen, it was a well set up uppercut. I, he was able to sidestep and throw that uppercut and, and Billion bit on the faint on the on the feint that that allowed on a deceptive shot that allowed Pavekin to get that angle. But really, I mean, he was getting he was getting beat off from pillar to post before that knockout happened. And then and then yeah. in the in the rematch, he got beat up from pillar to post again and then didn't get the knockout, so he got stopped himself. So I don't really put much stock into it. I actually think that, you know, the fact that Dillian came back so confidently, just as aggressive in the second fight, shows you that he's actually mentally a very strong guy. Um, and even in the Joshua knockout, when Joshua knocked him out, I was ringside for that fight when Joshua knocked out Dillian White. Uh, it was a good fight. He had rocked Joshua a couple of rounds earlier uh, and had Joshua almost out. Uh, he had him on his feet. He had him almost knocked out. And then uh, Joshua came back yeah. and knocked him. And, and Joshua came back and knocked him out. Dillian White is a resilient, sturdy guy. I just think his resilience and sturdiness, it, if it doesn't lead to a money shot landing, he's going to get punished a lot and eventually maybe stop late in the fight. Uh, I, I think the fact that he's resilient and sturdy is going to keep him in the fight for a little while. Uh, and, and, and it's going to keep him in a tough fight because I think it's going to be a tough fight for him. He's going to have to go through a lot. Um, and I think it's going to keep him in the, in a tough fight for a little while. And if he's able to land some kind of money shot like that Cunningham type of overhand, right. You know, it may, he may be able to, you know, rescue the title out from this fight, but if he's not able to land it at a certain point, I don't think as it goes later and later, but he's being broken down more and more that there would be any power left even to get Tyson Fury out, even if he lands a mic shot. So, so I do think it has to happen in the first half, maybe two thirds of the fight at most. Um, but he's in the meantime, I think he's going to be going through a, a very difficult fight. And that fight for the heavyweight championship of the world, April 23rd, Wembley Stadium, Tyson Fury against Dillian White. The next week, I'm going to be ringside, Madison Square Garden, for what I think, I think it's safe to say, biggest female fight of all time, Amanda Serrano against Katie Taylor. I can't wait to be in the main arena at Madison Square Garden the same night in Vegas. It's going to be Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson. My my thought is that the Amanda Serrano fight against Katie Taylor, or if you will, Katie Taylor against Amanda Serrano, is going to be a much better fight overall than we're going to see with Valdez and Stevenson. Would you agree with that? Or you say, no, come on, Stevenson and um, Valdez are going to be fight of the year. No, I, I don't think Shakur Stevenson and Valdez is that good of a fight. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that Serrano and, and, and Katie Taylor is a better fight uh, than the, what I expect. Uh, my, then what my expectation is of Shakur Stevenson and Oscar Valdez. You know, listen, it's a terrific unification fight, but I think stylistically it's pretty one-sided. Um, I think uh, Serrano and Taylor, uh, I think a couple of years ago would have been a better fight, to be, to be honest with you. Um, I'm still, I still have, I still have hope that it's still a competitive fight and it's still a good fight. Um, definitely. I hope that it's better than uh, what I expect uh, Valdez and, 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 Steve, uh, and Stevenson to be for sure. Randy G along with Paulie Malinaji on our first broadcast of the champ and the commish. Champ, it has been so much fun talking about the upcoming fights in April, the ones you're going to see this weekend, the ones you're going to see throughout the month. And I think this is going to start an incredible stretch for the remainder of the year. We have so many guests, um, so many plans for this show. Um, and when can we also, you know, we're going to be here every week with you guys. When can everybody else watch your Pauly.tv and whatever else you do? Yeah, yeah. I'm on Pauly. You can find me on Pauly TV on YouTube. Uh, uh, Pauly.tv. Pauly.tv on YouTube. Pauly TV on Instagram. Remember that dot. Yeah, remember the dot TV on, on YouTube. You get another <laughs> page. But then on, on, on Instagram, I'm just regular Pauly TV. Check it out. You get all the previews and whatnot for what I'm doing on the YouTube page. Uh, a lot of content, a lot of interviews. Uh, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of opinions, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, and then, uh, you know, might even, uh, might even have, uh, you know, keep doing that more and more. I'm going to try to get uh, some fight weeks, maybe in the media center. 
up at the Canelo fight week. We'll see. I'll try to see if I can pull that off. And then, uh, like I said, you get me on Paul Malinaji on Instagram and Paul Malinaji on Twitter. You know, that's it. And that's it. Thank you so much, Paulie. This has been a very fun launch. Finally, about eight months after we started talking about it, we're finally here. We're going to be with you guys every single week. Watch us wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. For Paulie Malinaji, I'm the Commish. Thanks for watching, everybody. Get out there. Be safe.